So the narratives tell us that Jesus came, and the epistles tell us why he came. Last Sunday, the grace of God appeared. Titus 2, why did Jesus come to make known the grace of God? And we saw that that grace is necessary for our salvation, for our sanctification, and for our perseverance. Last night, First Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We focused especially on the salvation that Christ came to accomplish. And this morning, First John, again, you probably don't think of this as a Christmas text, but right there in verses 9 and 10, he tells us that God sent his Son. He sent his son into the world, and so there is the reference to the incarnation, the appearing of Christ, the taking on of human flesh, and he explains the reason why Jesus came amongst many others. One of the reasons Jesus came is simply to teach us how to love. Jesus came into the world that we might love one another, specifically that we would love one another in the manner that God has loved us. Now, there's a sense in which John is simply repeating what Jesus has already said. In John's gospel, you'll know that Jesus says, they will know you, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. In 1 John, he labors that point. If you've ever read this short letter, you'll know many times over, John shows us the responsibility that we all have to love one another. In fact, three times, once in chapter 2 and then 3 and then here in 4, John enters into something of an extended discourse as to the responsibility that Christians have simply to love one another. Why is it such a concern for John that we would love one another? In the context of the letter, the answer is because our love for one another contributes to our assurance. So first John was written to give assurance to nervous believers. The church to whom he is writing had been subject to false teaching. They were now questioning their faith. And John writes to give them assurance, to give them confidence that they are indeed Christians. Assurance of salvation is one of the greatest gifts that you can enjoy this side of heaven. Thomas Boston, the Puritan, says assurance of salvation is heaven on earth. Not simply to be saved, but to know that you are saved. And John's argument is that our love for one another contributes to our assurance. So he's very eager that we would love one another. And he forms this very clear theological connection in verse 7 between our new birth, our salvation, and our love. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So the point that he makes very simply is that our love issues from 
our salvation. We love one another as Christians because we have received the gift of salvation. Because we've been brought into a right relationship with God and we know him, that then affects in our heart a love for other believers. And John is so insistent on this connection that he goes on in verse 8 to say, anyone who does not love does not know God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. John goes so far as to say, if love is lacking in your life, if you are not loving other Christians, that is evidence that you don't know God. So your love comes from your relationship with God, who is love. In his very essence, God is love. Now, as we ponder that reality, we are all of us prone to make a mistake in our response. We are all of us prone to respond to these verses by loving as the means to effecting our salvation. We read that if we love, it means we know God. And so we then love in order to ensure that we know God. And that doesn't work because that's not what the text says. The text says we've been born again and for that reason we love. Not that we love as a means of being born again. It doesn't work that way. We love only ever, always, as an outworking of the love that we have first received. So as you ponder that, you understand that the, the implication that comes to us as Christians is not so much to focus on the act of loving, but to focus on the God who is love. In order that we would grow in our love for one another, we are to not focus so much on the act of loving, but to focus on the God who is love. And specifically to focus on the act wherein we see God's love most manifest the sending of his Son. And that's exactly where John takes us next. In order to guard us from loving as a means to earning our salvation, which is not what the text allows, John takes us immediately to verse 9, talking about the sending of his Son. In this, the love of God was made manifest. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And then again in verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So there's our Christmas verses. There's the sending, there's the, the incarnation, the child in a manger. Why did God send his son? Why did Christ come to earth? There's many answers you can give to that question, one answer that the Bible gives us is that Christ came to earth in order that we might love. Christ came to earth in order that we would love one another. 
So when you think about that child in the manger, you think about his appearing that night and the angels, the heavenly hosts, proclaiming glory to God in the highest. The men of great esteem from far away came and gave to him gifts. Herod tried to kill him. God appeared to Joseph and warned him and sent them down to Egypt so as to protect this child. And when time had passed, he brought them back and then Jesus began his public ministry. As you think about these realities at Christmas, understand Jesus came with a mission. His mission was that he would create for himself a people who love one another. John says twice, God sent his son. One time he says, in order that we would live through him. In verse 10, he says, in order to be a propitiation. Those two sending statements are not disconnected. They're not unrelated. The propitiation that Christ was for us is to say that he absorbed God's wrath. That's not a word that we use frequently. It's not one you see often. If your Bible does not have the word propitiation there. Stop by our bookstore on the way out today. (laughs) You need that word in your vocabulary because it speaks so specifically about Christ's work on the cross with reference to the wrath of God. If there's a child in the street and you see a car coming down the street, and the child doesn't see the car, and the driver doesn't see the child, you run into the street, and you, you put yourself between the child and the car, and you take up the energy of the car so that the child doesn't. You propitiate the force of the vehicle. Christ propitiated the wrath of God. He absorbed it so that you don't have to. That's the wonder of the incarnation. And so, with him having acted as the propitiation for our sins, John can then also write, he came into the world that we might live. You see, with the wrath of God removed from Christians, we are now free to live. Later on in this chapter, John makes a connection between fear and a lack of love. If you fear, you are not free to love. If you fear the wrath of God, it will hinder you from loving In this life. And John says the wonder of the cross is that you no longer have to fear the wrath of God. So now you are free to love. To spend yourself. To lay down your life for the good of others. To love in the way that God loved us. He sent his son into the world that we might live through him. This is the responsibility and the joy 
for every Christian that we are free to love. Now, I know that it's hard. I'm sure I've shared with you before the story of my friend who's also a pastor in a southern context. He's also a Brit. He has a very dry sense of humor. And he said, when we take the Lord's Supper together, we have this song that we sing. And the idea is we look around the room as we sing it, and the words are, I'm so glad that you're in God's family. And he said, I look around the room and I sing, I'm surprised you're in God's family. (laughs) And he said, I sing that knowing full well that everyone else is thinking it about me. (laughs) It's not easy to love one another, to lay down your life for the good of others. But consider briefly just how great a privilege it is that we have to love in this way. John says in verse 11, if God so loved the world, if he so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, that verb that John uses to perfect does not actually mean moral perfection. It does not mean that we love one another without fault. He knows that we don't love perfectly. When he uses that verb, the meaning of it is that when we love one another in this way, God's love has reached its intended goal. It's now accomplishing what it was meant to accomplish in us. God's love came to us that we might love others. It's doing the thing it came for. Now, why would it be that John says in verse 12, no one has ever seen God? It's a strange thing to say, unless you understand that 1 John is, in essence, the apostle's explanation and expansion of all that he received from the Lord Jesus. So when you read 1 John, have John's gospel beside you. Look at what Jesus said to John in John's gospel. When you see what he gave to him, you understand so much of this letter, the apostle is simply taking that and unpacking it further for us. There are many connections between 1 John and the gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, we read, no one has ever seen God. In the first chapter, the author writes, no one has ever seen God. But there, in John chapter 1, he says, but Jesus makes him known. No one has ever seen God, he says in the Gospel, but Jesus came to earth to make him known, literally to explain him. Well, fast forward some time, and Jesus is no longer with us bodily. And John writes, no one has ever seen God. Same words. But he finishes the sentence in a different way. 
He doesn't say Jesus is with us to explain him because he no longer is. He's ascended. No one has ever seen God, but Christians now love one another as a means of making God known. You see, that's the logic as you move from John chapter 1 to 1 John 4. No one has ever seen God. Jesus came to make him known. But now that he's ascended, he has passed on the baton and we have the incredible privilege of making God known to a watching world. How? By our love for one another. As you love one another in response to the wonder of Christmas, of the cross, of the empty tomb, of salvation gifted to you, as your love issues forth from those glorious realities, you put God on display. Now, if you're with us for the first time today, and perhaps you are not a Christian, I pray that you see here at Bethany a community of people that love one another. We're not perfect. We don't do it perfectly. But I pray that you see here something that you do not see in the world. And I want you to know But that's not manufactured. We don't create that. That is not of us. The love that you see in this church issues forth from the salvation that we have received. And I would love to speak to you more about that salvation. If you're a Christian, be encouraged. Rejoice that Christ came. Because he made known the grace of God for your salvation and that you could love one another as God has loved you. Let's pray now to close. Father, we give you thanks this day for the sending of your son. You sent him into the world that we would live through him. You sent him into the world to be a propitiation for our sins. Praise God. Thank you this Christmas day for the truth of your wrath removed from us. Thank you this Christmas day for the truth of our sins forgiven. Father, thank you for the truth this Christmas day that we are children of God in a relationship with you and that you have given us new hearts by which we love one another. Help us to love joyfully in response to your grace in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.